0: You're listening to a classic business podcast, as heard on Classic 1027. 1027. Hello and welcome back to Classic Business. My name is Petri Redlingas. I am your stand-in host uh, for the rest of the week. Uh, We now move our attention to our next uh, sort of segment. We are talking to Andrew Lee from IQ Business. Andrew, good evening to you, good sir. Thank you very much For your time um, You wrote an interesting An interesting piece uh, That was published On IOL.co.za uh, Entitled Business Interruption Solutions For a Post-COVID World um, In it You you mention A couple of things Particularly uh you know Sasria which is a state owned enterprise um and a currently the only real insurer for people who need insurance or companies individuals who want insurance for any sort of political unrest and terrorism and uh you know politically driven uh sort of you know incidents like riots or whatever the case is right um and this is in fact a state owned or state-backed entities um, that plays in the insurance space. Um, and yeah. in your article, you kind of suggest that, well, you know, looking at what had happened with COVID and the amount of sort of business interruption claims that were, that went unpaid and the uh, sort of fallout that that had on businesses in general and households and families for, losing, you know, people losing their jobs, people losing their companies, um, that there's room for a state-owned enterprise in the uh, sort of, you know, this disaster cover insurance space?
1: Yes, I think the the common misconception, I think, is that Shastria is a state-owned company. Yes, they are the shareholder of the company, but the contribution into that fund for the cover comes from your general public and policy holders. So it's kind of ring-fenced from the general SOE situation that we have at the moment. So in suggesting that we set up some kind of mechanism to support businesses in need in times of catastrophe where we are right now, is to suggest that there is a role for the government to play in the enforcement of uh, requiring business owners to subscribe to a central fund so that when disasters occur, which I believe will occur with greater frequency in the future, There's a fallback position for all of the businesses in South Africa, and most most specifically the small to medium-sized businesses who really don't have the resources or the liquidity to fall back on when their businesses have to close for months on end.
0: Okay, and I mean, SASHA provides provides us with a fairly good blueprint of how this should work.
1: Precisely. If you look at it, it has been in existence since the late 1970s. It has always been solvent. It's always been well-managed. And it is the only enterprise, really, uh, that falls within a sort of quasi-government space that actually even declares dividends to its shareholders, who at this point in time are the government. But even so, it shows that there is a place for a private-public partnership in these spaces that can work. Um, But there have to be ring fans and there has to be certain guarantees in place to make sure that uh, no maladministration administration can take place.
0: Yeah, you mentioned in your article that, um, you know, you have 50% representation of business on the board for something like this, which ensures that it remains focused on being a commercial, you know, commercially viable operation and doesn't fall prey to, you know, political sort of, uh, what do you call it, meddling.
1: Yes, that, that's part of it. The other part would be, it would be set up, As a sort of mutual fund where the funds in there belong to the people who contributed, not to anybody else. And also as an insurance company, the law says that nobody is allowed to extract money from that fund except the people who contributed. And also the way that money is invested um, is very strictly prescribed by law to make sure that no strange investments can be made, no risky investments can be made with that money.
0: Right. Okay. So there's a, uh, so, okay, very professional sort of management. I guess one of the major benefits then would be that you just have access to, um, I guess a state backed capital pool. Um, maybe, you know, part of the reason we saw insurance companies not necessarily, you know, being able to pay out some of the business interruption claims is simply because they didn't have enough, they're not well enough capitalized. They don't have enough money.
1: I think the insurance companies had enough money. It's just that they weren't anticipating a pandemic arising of this nature. So they've had to dig very deeply into their reserves. And of course, the reaction is going to be that the premiums now for this kind of cover are going to skyrocket, which is a vicious circle then because the businesses who need this kind of cover most won't be able to afford it. So you need to widen the net much, much, much wider so that you have hundreds of thousands of companies contributing small amounts, so that everybody gets the cover, as opposed to the top five percent contributing and ninety-five percent being excluded from cover because they just can't afford it.
0: I guess, I mean, if you if you look at some sort of a broad-based enforcement mechanism or or, or model. Um, Something like the UIF is a good example of that, right? Everybody pays unemployment insurance, uh, you know, a UIF payment's part of their salary every month, or those who have, you know, permanent employment at least. And the UIF does wonderful work, right? they defend the, the, the worker from you know unscrupulous bosses, if you will, uh, and sometimes the other way around, right? So, um, I mean, a similar approach would probably be beneficial or would it be, or w- would you envision something that's more of like a private thing? Like I'd, I would use a normal insurance policy, normal business insurance through AON or whomever, and that would be an add-on to my insurance cover or would it be more of like a legislative you know percentage of revenue kind of thing?
1: It would be a hybrid. I think the UI does a wonderful work, but I think it has faults that it's still an open fund that is, can be um, subject to corruption. The insurance framework prevents that kind of um, malfeasance, shall we call it. And the other thing is by ring fencing in this way and making it professionally managed, you will then attract a greater pool of donors. I mean, I've worked with the World Bank in Washington and various other development finance institutions across Europe, and this is the kind of thing that they would be very willing to back and support and put money into to support... uh, A fund whereby businesses can be kept running. And this is what's so important. How do we keep all our businesses running? And we can widen the net. You know, the African Union would support it. African Development Bank. There are many, many different development finance institutions who would contribute into a fund of this nature. So it wouldn't just be local funding. It could be international funding.
0: Right, and I mean, I think for um big businesses and and i guess regional governments to um or governments in the region uh to back something like this what's what's really in it for them uh my guess would be well, you know a lot of my supply chain is small business or a lot of my customers is is employed by small business, so it's in my best interest to keep them alive yeah
1: like like they say I suppose there's no interest like self interest <laughs> right. Um, and, and big business needs everybody else. And what the last thing they want is for the economy to tank in any way. It doesn't help their shareholding, it doesn't help their business. In no way is it beneficial to big business for small business or medium business to fail. You know, it's it really is a virtuous circle and everybody works together. So I'm quite sure they would be in favor as well. But the trick, as you have mentioned, is how do you set it up in such a way that the stigma of corruption which permeates everything in our society at the moment, is kept away from it, which is professionally run, and you get outside interest into it, and it becomes a stable and functioning uh, system and support mechanism for business.
0: Yeah, and becomes a profitable entity, right? I mean, if it uh, sort of remains focused on what is commercially viable, then you have a model that works.
1: You do, and what you do with the profits, well, that's a question for future, but if you, it's wonderful you have the profits. Whether you plow them back into the fund, whether they're used for uh, socially beneficial types of systems, aiding up-and-coming businesses, who knows? I mean, there's many things you could do with it, but you have to get to that point where you're actually making profits, of course.
0: Yeah. All right, well, what do you think it would take for us to be able to set something like this up? I mean, what are the, what are the pieces on the chessboard that we need to move?
1: I think initially you need a, <clears throat> a small think tank of the professionals within the insurance environment, um, a few people from the government, um, and also maybe one or two people from the international community to get together and try and build the model first. But a very small team to build a model, and if that model can work, then it's, you're going to have to pass some sort of legislation that requires businesses to contribute on an insurance policy basis, like had done, hmm. And that's where you're going to go. But the model needs to be fleshed out. It's an idea at the moment. And fundamentally, like all ideas, it now needs the details to be worked out and the devil to be sorted out. But you need the, the initial think tank to do that.
0: Yeah, and I think people might be a bit resistant to the idea of, hey, a new SOE, but like you say, if you get the model right, if you, the, the, the reasoning behind the ideas is fantastic. Um, It's just trying to figure out how to make it work at this stage.
1: Yeah, but it won't be an SOE. It will not be a state-owned enterprise. It'll be a public... It'll be owned by... A public-private partnership. Public-private partnership actually owned by the people who contributed the money, which would be the business owners. And the state would be there to assist in the legislation and the pushing forward of the compulsory nature of it. And in some ways as well, if the state actually gets to a point where it has the money, it could even be a sort of reinsurer of last resort, if it goes so bad, it could then add more into it to say, look, the fund will pay the businesses first. If that is exhausted, then the government will put a bit more in, and and so on and so forth. So there's a huge role for the state to play, but not very much really at the end of the day. It's not proposed that the government plays a lot of role in actually managing the actual insurance company.
0: Right, gotcha. Okay, well, thank you very much. It's a really, it's a really wonderful idea, and I hope that it's something that, uh, that catches on. Um, I think anything that we can do to um, you know, protect the sustainability of, of uh, small businesses and medium-sized enterprises particularly is, is fantastic. Uh, unfortunately, we're out of time. So we have, to, we have to move on. Thank you very much for joining us, Andrew Lee. Uh, Andrew Lee is the insurance industry lead at um, IQ Business.